BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. It is Friday, October 11, around 8.30 a.m. in Washington, D.C., and time for our weekly roundtable. And again, what a week it's been. Democrats working overtime to pursue their impeachment inquiry of Donald Trump, while President Trump is working just as hard to delay or block it, and many Republicans trying to stay out of the crossfire. Meanwhile, given a green light by Donald Trump, Turkey's waging war on our allies, the Kurds, who have spent the last five years fighting alongside of U.S. forces against ISIS, And back here at home, 12 Democrats prepare to take the stage next week in yet another primary debate. Will it make any difference or has this nomination, this nomination battle already boiled down to a two-person race? Here to tackle the big stories of the week, Igor Babish from uh, HuffPost, national political reporter, is that fair? Okay, good. Jennifer Habicorn from the Los Angeles Times, also covering the national political scene. Hi, Bill. And uh, covering that scene as well for the Wall Street Journal, Eliza Collins. Hello, Eliza. Hello. Everybody, thank you all for uh, coming. Welcome, welcome. So we've seen so many times where everybody says, this is a big story that's going to bring Donald Trump down. And then two days later, we're talking about something entirely different, and we've forgotten that story. This is the third week that the impeachment inquiry has dominated the headlines. Just looking at this morning's Washington Post, Right down the front, the right-hand side of the page. National security officials raised Ukraine alarms. Warning started before Trump's call. Two Giuliani associates charged in influence plot and then related. Trump sought Tillerson help for a Giuliani client. Um, What's going on, Jennifer? This story sort of has legs. (laughs) I think it does. Um, I think the issue, frankly, that Democrats are confronting is that this story is unfolding so fast. And for the casual observer, it's a little hard to keep up with. And I think one thing that they're going to be focusing on next week is bringing it back to to the issue that brought everyone onto the impeachment story, which was the original call with Ukraine and the um, partial transcript that the White House released. Um, there's going to be some debate, I think, among Democrats as to, you know, do you do you stay focused on that story and bring your articles of impeachment on that? Or do you kind of bring all these other um, kind of threads along the lines of abuse of power into that? And um uh, I think this impeachment inquiry is going to move very fast in that we're going to have a vote on articles uh, just within a couple of weeks. So, Igor, the president is trying to ignore, well, he's not trying to ignore it, but he is trying to talk about maybe other things. He went to Minneapolis last night to have a big rally. The story of that rally is maybe on page 25 this morning <laughs> of the Post, and the front page is still Ukraine, Trump, call. And he also signed off on a war. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> in right. Turkey, in uh, in Syria. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's the pace has been really quite something. I think he's trying to uh, do what he does best: distract. Um, you know, he held his rally last night where he 
uh, went after Ilhan Omar, uh, the Minnesota congresswoman, where the rally was at, was particularly, uh, you know, uh, launching into fiercer, fiercer attacks against the Bidens, Hunter Biden in particular, uh, you know, trying to turn against him. This lock, lock her up chant is now being a lock him up chant. So really some of the same tactics. Uh, and I'm not sure uh, as we get closer to co- closer to this impeachment vote, what he's going to do else. Well, I guess the question is along whether it's working. I mean, it did work in a sense for it did work for the Mueller investigation to call it a witch on it dragged on for two years. And basically he walked away. I mean, he's in a sense trying the same tactic against to discredit the people involved and the investigation itself. Is it working this time? Well, the big difference is the Mueller investigation took place behind closed doors and it took place over a long period of time. We are seeing new developments every day, you know, multiple developments, as you're pointing out on the post. So I think when he goes to his rally, he certainly gets his base excited, but they're excited no matter what. Um, The question is, can the average voter who's maybe not a strong Donald Trump supporter, but also wary of impeachment, can Democrats convince that voter that this is important enough. And I'm not quite sure yet. I mean, we're seeing polling start to show that the majority of Americans do support the inquiry, but we have not yet seen the majority of Americans supporting removing him from office. And the White House has said this week that, okay, you can go ahead with your little impeachment inquiry, but we're not going to cooperate. No way, no how. No witnesses, no documents, nothing. Um which Democrats say, well, you could be adding another impeachable article, right, just in, in and of itself. Uh, that's not a new idea. In fact, back when Bill Clinton, there was the impeachment inquiry into Bill Clinton, another, none other than Lindsey Graham suggested uh, this crosses the line. Article three of impeachment against Richard Nixon. The article was based on the idea that Richard Nixon, as president, failed to comply with subpoenas of Congress. Congress was going through its oversight function to provide oversight of the president. When asked for information, Richard Nixon chose not to comply, and the Congress back in that time said, you're taking impeachment away from us. You're becoming the judge and jury. It is not your job to tell us what we need. It is your job to comply with the things we need to provide oversight over you. The day Richard Nixon failed to answer that subpoena is the day that he was subject to impeachment because he took the power from Congress over the impeachment process away from Congress and he became the judge and jury. Well, I guess that was then and this is now. (laughs) History is a circle, right? (laughs) Is that what we say? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can't see a situation in which articles of impeachment don't include obstruction of Congress and obstruction of justice at this point. Um, but again, there there are some moderate Democrats who are a little worried about throwing the kitchen sink approach to articles of impeachment. I just don't see how Congress stands by and doesn't include obstruction in their articles. Um, because you're, I mean, just the, the letter that the White House sent to Congress um, just mystified Democrats. There seemed to be no, you know, legal reasoning in there to back up what they were saying. So I guess maybe the the hope here on the part of the White House is that this will throw it into the courts, which will delay it into 2020 in the middle of the election campaign. Yeah, and I, and I think they're trying to, you know, uh, kind of push Nancy Pelosi, you know, and these moderate moderate Democrats. They want to. Uh, put them on record. And uh, I, I think there is a, a group of Democrats who are hesitant about doing so uh, yet because 
as Liza said, there's, you know, the shift in public opinion, but really not a, a majority, of, a true majority of American public who wants to remove him yet. See, I, I wonder about that vote. I'd like to get all of your, your take on that vote, because I keep hearing that there are some moderate Democrats who are not ready to stand up and vote yet. Are Republicans really ready to go out and say, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the president shaking down a foreign leader for political dirt? Yeah, I approve of that. I think it depends on the Republican. Um, but there certainly are Republicans that could be bluffing here and saying, let's do it. Let's bring up the vote. But there are Republicans in the same way there are Democrats who have tough re-elections. There are some Republicans who have tough re-elections, particularly in the Senate. You know, we talk so much about Colorado, Arizona, Maine. Um, you know, those senators, they have to not want to talk about this. I mean, there was a clip yesterday of Cory Booker being asked back home in Colorado. He's a senator Gar from Colorado. Gar uh, Cory oh, Gardner. Gardner. I yeah. spent a lot of time on the campaign trail. <laughs> yeah, Cory Gardner. And uh, he was repeatedly asked, you know, do you think it is okay that the president solicited help from a foreign government? And he just would not answer. I think it was mm -hmm. asked five times and mm -hmm. he would, would not answer. So yeah. they're uncomfortable. Right. I mean, and that... That vote would force them to say, and basically that's the one question, right? As you pointed out earlier, Jen, the phone call, right? Mm -hmm. That's it. Is that okay? Exactly. And one of the dynamics I think we're seeing in the House right now is that when you, if and when Pelosi calls this inquiry vote, it's going to lock some folks in. Um, and it's going to be hard for a Republican to say, um, I, I didn't support the inquiry, but oh, but I do support impeachment. There's some thought that the sooner you hold this vote, this inquiry vote, Republicans are probably at a high mark right now for the number of Republicans who might stick together with the White House. Um, and, you know, if if you're hoping if you're a Democrat and you're hoping that there's going to be more evidence that comes out, um, the sooner you the sooner those Republicans are locked in, the more. Um, there's little reason to think that you're, you're going to get any down the road. Um, and from the Democrats' point of view, I mean, there's really only about eight Democrats who are against the inquiry at this point, and that very likely could change. I mean, we're seeing them kind of uh, fall away, and the, and the folks who are against it are the most Trump districts, mm -hmm. um, you know, where Trump won by 10-plus percentage points. And they might want to say, no, I don't support the inquiry, <laughs> just to show their voters that they're not, um, you know, with the rest of the Democratic Party. What's the timetable, do you, th do you believe, Igor? Is this going to be for the Democrats' advantage over before the end of the year, or will it drag on into 2020? I can't imagine they want it to drag into 2020 because then Republicans go can go ahead and say, listen, it's an election year, and uh, let's handle it in the election. So I think they do want to take care of this in the at least in the coming month or so. Mm-hmm. And before, so get it done before the end of the year, yeah. at least in the House at any rate. Yeah. And who knows? I think the House think is going to vote before Thanksgiving because the only thing wow. that makes Thanksgiving dinner more contentious is an impeachment <laughs> vote <laughs> a couple of days beforehand. <laughs> Do you see it that way? I think so. And I'll bring in the 2020 perspective as someone who confused Cory Gardner and Cory Booker a few minutes ago. <laughs> um, but if you're a Democrat running for president, you, this Impeachment inquiry is uncomfortable for them because they want to make the argument that they can beat Trump on the merits and not because he's being removed from office. So, of course, Nancy Pelosi is not dis making her vote decisions based on the presidential race, but that has to factor in. They want to be able to say, you know, let 
Congress do its thing, I'm running for president. And that's what I'm seeing on the trail. They really don't like talking about impeachment. And if they do, it's a sentence or two in a speech. Right. So in the meantime, related, although the president is not in, uh, included in this indictment, but two associates of Rudy Giuliani that he had hired to help him in this effort to uncover dirt on Joe Biden in Ukraine were indicted yesterday for campaign finance violations by federal prosecutors. Um, this certainly adds another what, <laughs> level, right, to mm -hmm. this whole scandal, intrigue, or whatever we want to call it. Well, I think it's completely just backfired on Rudy Giuliani. I mean, he was the he was yeah. the corruption police. He was the guy who was. Uh, he was the whistleblower. He was trying to alert the nation. He for, called himself the whistleblower. Yes, he had yeah. a public duty to come out and say, listen, Joe Biden is up to no good in Ukraine and his son. And all of a sudden now, big shock, Giuliani did some questionable, maybe corrupt things himself. Uh, so I don't think it's good for the White House. Yeah. Uh, Rudy was not charged, but his two associates were. And clearly they were working for him. Mm -hmm. He knew what they were doing. And uh, even, I believe, I read this morning that last night, yesterday they had lunch, the three of them together, these two guys in Rudy Julian, where? At the Trump Hotel, of course. Yeah, and then just a couple hours later, they arrested at Dulles Airport trying to Yes, trying to the leave country. the country. Um, and interestingly, the House has um, subpoenaed them as well to testify. I mean, of course, now there's an indictment involved, and I, I, I doubt they actually will, but the House has made clear that they want to hear from them as well. So you get the impression, Eliza, that Rudy Giuliani could be trouble, right? <laughs> well, we know that some people in the White House have been, you know, uncomfortable with Giuliani. He's, they felt like trouble sort of for a while now. He goes on TV. He has been willing to share things that they would not like shared, you know, in public. And now he just keeps sort of getting more and more entangled. And we saw yesterday the president asked about this, um, these arrests, and he was quick to distance himself. There is, you know, a photo of him with them. We don't know the level of closeness, but he said, ask, ask Rudy, you know, ask Rudy. So there could be a point when people start to distance themselves from Giuliani as just these things keep coming out. So it looks like uh, what I hear is that you all believe that there will be the impeachment inquiry will go on for another few weeks, that then, then there will be a vote. Uh, that will be focused on the call and maybe obstruction of justice, that there are probably enough votes in the House to impeach, right? <laughs> probably. Mm -hmm. But not but not enough votes in the Senate to convict. Is that where you all think it ends by the end of the year? So we have an, a president who's been impeached, third president to be impeached, goes into 2020 with that on his record, but he's still in office. I mean, in the Senate, I think it likely that they're going to acquit the president or at least dismiss the articles against him. Um, but I think the reason why you're being, you're seeing all these Republicans like Cory Gardner be cautious about it right now is because they don't know what else is going to come out mm -hmm. and they don't want to go on record right now saying one way or the other. So they're saying, listen, let's get to the facts. Let's, uh, you know, take care of this in the Senate intelligence committee, which has an investigation. Um, uh, because we just don't know. And as you pointed out on that newspaper earlier, there's just so many things coming out every day. And, and, and that is a problem, isn't it, for taking a strong stand in support of 
today what the president is saying or did because you never know what's going to hit tomorrow. Yeah, that shoes are dropping from the sky, um, you know, by the by the day. And um, there's very little um, alliance between the White House and Republicans right now in terms of messaging. And so Republicans don't really, you know, besides the president's most ardent supporters on the Hill, um, Republicans don't have a lot of confidence that they can defend the president and not be shocked by what's in the newspaper the next day. And that that creates a dynamic in which, you know, it's really the, the Freedom Caucus guys are the ones on the Hill defending the president and um, uh, to your point, not not Cory Gardner and, and the folks who are going to be in the really tight races. Right. And on that point where just just the time when the president wants all these people to rally around him, Eliza. He makes another phone call, this time to President Erdogan in Turkey, who says, you know, we would really like to invade um, northern Syria, but some of your guys are in the way. Will you get them out of the way for us? And apparently Donald Trump said, sure. And now we see a full invasion of northern Syria um, to get the Kurds out of there, our allies. And everybody's saying it's because Donald Trump gave the green light. This hasn't given Republicans in Congress a lot of uh, confidence. In fact, this might be the thing that Republicans split with him on. I mean, we've already seen them split with him on. But Lindsey Graham is an ally of the president. He's been defending him through this impeachment inquiry. He has completely gone to the other side on this issue. He's been very critical of the president. Um, We are seeing Congress. They're talking about coming out with sanctions. They are Congress is acting in a bipartisan way, and it's against the president. So this is all playing out in the background when the president really needs Republicans to be his allies. And, you know, he does not have a coherent message on impeachment that is working with the with Congress. And so it's just it's a real mess. Does this Turkey is, is, or this, the Kurdish um, attacks against the Kurds play into the impeachment? I mean, it certainly doesn't help when you've got 100 100 people who are going to be your jurors, uh, you would imagine you would want to try to keep them happy doing whatever you can. <laughs> but uh, with Lindsey Graham, I mean, he was, th- there's a theory that he, the reason why he's so buddy-buddy and chummed up to Trump is that he could influence foreign policy. He's always been this, you know, big foreign policy neoconservative guy. Yeah, right. And it it hasn't worked out. I mean, Trump hasn't listened to him. He, did, he didn't even, I understand, call him beforehand and say, right. Lindsey... Erdogan asked me to do this. What do you think? Yeah, right? he's been he's been raging on Twitter. Uh, that's all he has now. Uh, and he Lindsay found out about it the same way we all did. But you know, um, Jen, you have to give the maybe sometimes say maybe the president is right after all, as he said here on the South Lawn uh, yesterday. Um, where were the Kurds when we needed them in Normandy? Kurds are fighting for their land. Just so you understand. They're fighting for their land. And as somebody wrote in a very, very powerful article today, they didn't help us in the Second World War. They didn't help us with Nor- Normandy, as an example. Where were they? On the beach in Normandy. <laughs> um, Isn't that bizarre? Wait, just wait till, bit, yes. <laughs> wait till somebody tells them about the Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the only argument the president has right now is that this was a campaign promise to get the U.S. out of foreign wars. The problem is this is one um, one group of people that Republicans and Democrats and um, I would guess 90 percent of Congress feels like we should be out there defending. Um, not only were they uh, uh, we, we promised that we would. They've been fighting ISIS. Um, there's you know you, little you, reason. You, you got to say they stood up when nobody else did. Mm-hmm alongside of American forces to fight ISIS. They were right there. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah. In fact, they were on the in the front, and we were backing advising, them up, yeah. backing them up, right? Um, and and it's also worth pointing out maybe that Kurd, Kurdistan has never been a state, right? I mean, they were not a country then, and they're not now, right? Yeah. Well, I think the other question is. Why did the president do this? I mean, yeah, he's given a rationale for national security reasons, which, you know, <laughs> I don't know whether you can believe that or not. But, you know, what what did he get out of it? We know he's a transactional president, um, especially on the foreign foreign stage. So what why? Why did he do what did he get in return? I'm looking around the table for an answer. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I, not I, sure. I think I mean, Jen's point of this being a campaign promise, you know, this I don't know. I don't really know what the president is thinking. Yeah, but this doesn't necessarily. Well, I can't defend it at all. Can't doesn't get us out. Doesn't end necessarily another war. I mean, and it doesn't even fulfill a campaign promise. And as some people pointed out, uh, the Turks are pushing the Kurds out and bringing in other people to occupy those lands. So it's it even gets to the edge if not the reality of ethnic cleansing as well i mean i think this is a messy situation and uh, we'll see how we get out of it but you point out lies it looks like congress may act at least to condemn it absolutely yeah congress we're seeing people on both sides you know very upset by this and saying that they're working together but again that can only go so far when the president is ultimately the person that makes the decisions. And meanwhile, there is other news here uh, on the home front, including, uh, guess what? A Democratic primary still underway with a big debate coming up next week. Time for a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod. Thanks for being with us. Our roundtable today brought to you by the International Association of Iron Workers, the good men and women of the Iron Workers Union. They, under the leadership of President Eric Dean, they are out there building America's communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow if the Congress ever gets its uh, act together and passes an infrastructure legislation. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program, direct them, direct you to check out their website at ironworkers.org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back with uh, today's roundtable with Igor Babish, Jennifer Habercorn, and Eliza Collins talking about the big stories of the week. I don't know about the rest of you. Uh, I am on my way to Columbus, Ohio on Tuesday for the fourth, I think, fourth. Fourth. Uh, Democratic debate. 
This time, 12 Democrats on stage because Tulsi Gabbard and Tom Steyer are joining the 10 who were there the last time, uh, eager when we were together in Houston. Um, what are you looking for Tuesday? I want to see if anybody's actually going to take it to Elizabeth Warren, the new frontrunner this time around. You know, last time she, you know, she tangled a little bit with Joe Biden, but never really um, went after him. Mm -hmm. um, so just uh, whether any one of them will kind of follow through with their their um, their attacks that they've been kind of launching on the campaign trail that they have not yet on the debate stage. Yeah. Um, the Republicans allies have been looking, trying to find a attack line on Elizabeth Warren, right? The Pocahontas thing, even the president says maybe he tried it too early. It sort of <laughs> faded away. Now the latest is that she didn't get fired because she was pregnant. She just decided to resign because she wanted to have a baby. Right. So there was any of these things sticking. Well, it's sticking at this moment with, you know, conservatives, but they already didn't like Elizabeth Warren. And what that actually did. So there was a story that came out that pointed to records that said part of Warren's stump speech is that when she got pregnant, she was fired and she was teaching. Um, she was fired. And so they a conservative news outlet found that in the records, they had basically decided to continue her um, tenure the next year. But of course, this was a few months before Warren actually did leave and she says that she was not showing at the time and things change. And what this really did was produce a whole backlash of women coming out and saying, you know, there's certainly discrimination against pregnant women. And there really was at that point. And I think it ended up sort of having the reverse effect of what Republicans were looking for, at least within democratic circles, because suddenly women came out and said, no, 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 just because it's on paper doesn't mean things don't happen behind closed doors and they wouldn't write down, you know, she was pregnant. We're firing her. So um, Igor believes that they're going to go after Elizabeth Warren. What about Joe Biden, Jen? Has he been hurt at all in his at one time front runner status because of the Donald Trump uh, corruption attacks? You know, I really don't think that he has. Um, and we all inside the Beltway are waiting for this Biden collapse that um, just it kind of became conventional wisdom that it was going to happen. And um, he's definitely uh, taken some hits and Warren has been able to overtake him. But he hasn't had the epic collapse that a lot of the candidates had been hoping for. Um, you know, it seemed like several candidates had a strategy that was based entirely around the fact that Biden would uh, one day have this this epic collapse and they'd have an, an avenue into the um, nomination. But we haven't seen that entirely happen to the extent that people had hoped. And so, um, yeah, I'm wondering, you know, do do the hits go after Warren or do they go after Biden to kind of, you know, get him fully out of the way? You know, um, I remember the last debate that um, everybody, it was right after the mass murder in uh, El Paso. And on stage, everybody went out of the way to salute Beto O'Rourke for his mm -hmm. leadership at that point. I could see that this next debate, people are going to go out of the way to salute Joe Biden and say, hey, Joe, this is terrible what he's doing to you. You know, we're with you. You may be old and feeble, but you're not corrupt. <laughs> We've definitely seen hints of that on Twitter and in comments so far, like stay away from Joe Biden. Um, but yeah, that that's a good point. Um, that could really be a kind of rallying cry. It'd be the first opportunity. Certainly, when all of them are together, the first opportunity for them to do so. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, you, you know, you look at the Democratic National Committee, they're staying out of it. They're, they're saying it's not our job to defend one candidate. But, I, I, you know, a, a united front with uh, all the candidates on stage saying, hey, this isn't OK. It's probably something that's going to happen. Yeah. What about that, Eliza? There, the DNC was uh, has been criticized by some Biden supporters for saying you should be out there running ads uh, to defend Joe Biden. Um, Tom Paris is saying, yeah, last time they attacked the DNC for being for siding with Hillary. So now you want us, you know, to get involved on behalf of one candidate. Right. I think that's exactly the DNC is in an uncomfortable position because they were criticized so strongly the last time around. And Biden at this point, you know, in the most recent point, he's in second place, but barely. He still really could be the front runner. And I think, you know, he's pulling ahead of a lot of the field. And you could see candidates who maybe are like, yeah, you know, you're not corrupt. But the minute the party apparatus gets behind him and is running ads, they feel like that could really just help him surge. So I think that the DNC is in an uncomfortable position and it might be better for the Democrats themselves that are running against him to just say a quick sentence or two of support and then they'd like to move on. They don't want ads defending Joe Biden on air. Back on stage Tuesday, uh, we are told, and he assures us he'll be there, will be Bernie Sanders, maybe his first public appearance since the since his heart attack. Uh, he's getting some criticism because uh, we knew he had a heart issue and some stents put in. We didn't know he had a heart attack for a couple of days. Uh, Bernie was asked by Harry Smith on uh, NBC if um, they withheld the truth there from the American people a little bit. Here's Senator Sanders. It felt from a public perspective that there was an absence of transparency. No, I don't accept that. No, I think that's a media thing. You know, I think that, you know, that to try to understand what in fact is going on, it, it, it's, uh, I think we did it appropriately, we did it as quickly as we could. No apologies. No apologies, but uh, Igor, the issue is still, he's 78, he had a heart attack. How does this impact his campaign? I mean, I, I think people are going to be legitimately concerned. A heart attack is nothing to joke about. Um, and I, I think the fact that he, his campaign didn't go out and just immediately say what the issue was is going to create further questions. And people are going to be looking next week what what he's like on stage. Is he, is, does he, is he still as cantankerous as ever? <laughs> you know, does he jabbing his finger up in the air? Like what? You know, there's going to be questions. And, and I think Eliza can speak to it better. She's, uh, she's covering him. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, people are going to be looking on stage next week. We'll be looking at his campaign schedule going forward. But Every public appearance, people are going to be just looking for any, right. any sign that he gets tired. Right? Exactly. And I think this comes as he has started to fall in the polls a bit. Um, the one thing he, the team really has going for them, and they are quick to point out, is just before he had the heart attack, they announced a giant fundraising haul. And he's beat the rest of the field. He has $33 million cash on hand. So he certainly has the money to keep going. And he does have a strong base of support still. But the question is, as he's in a very clear third place at this point, can he build on that, especially now that there are people who say he's 78 years old, he had a heart attack. You know, I just on my Twitter feed, people responding saying, I love Bernie, but I think it's time to retire. And when you do have someone like Elizabeth Warren in the field who has a lot of similar policies and does, she's 70, but, you know, is, has not had a heart attack, is seeming <laughs> seeming a lot younger. Um, the question is, do people start to go to her? And I'm not sure yet, yeah. but 
And Bernie did have, of all the candidates, probably the most energetic schedule of all. Mm-hmm. More, oh, yeah. more events and, as you say, you're more into it right? every time he talks. <laughs> I can't see any, any voter at this point saying, oh, this is the thing that's going to turn me around to join the Bernie bros. Um, as, as we call them, you know, he, my question is, has he peaked? Um, because if, if you were with him before, you might stick with him, but you're not going to like join now. Um, particularly to your point, Eliza, that there's Elizabeth Warren in the field and and plenty of other folks. In 2016, it was Sanders versus Clinton. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't like Clinton, Sanders was an obvious choice. Um, but now it's a much larger field. He's older, he's had a heart attack, and Warren at this moment is polling a lot better than he is and is right on his heels in fundraising. So, so finally, just final point as was mentioned earlier, um, the president had a rally in Minneapolis last night. Uh, and the biggest line, and we got the most applause and the most laughter of the night, was when he said, Well, um, I'm paraphrasing here, something along the lines of, well, the only reason Democrats like Joe Biden is because he was willing to kiss Barack Obama's ass. I think you got it. I think that was it. <laughs> that, that's about it. Yeah. My question to you all is, did any of you see Mike Pence's reaction to that comment? He was in the crowd. Oh. I wonder, don't yeah. you? I wonder what the conversation was between him and his wife after the rally. <laughs> uh, she was there, too. She was there, too? Yeah. yeah. I would imagine that mother did not like that line. Mm. <laughs> Well, uh, maybe that would be our favorite story of the week, actually. But <laughs> we always ask you uh, a good rundown of the news of the week for your favorite story of the week. Uh, it could be one of the above, but maybe something we haven't talked about that caught your attention. You just couldn't let go of it. Jennifer? Um, well, I was just going to say uh, the Wall Street Journal, Eliza's colleagues, um, their coverage of the uh, Giuliani arrest and um, just the lead up of the last couple of days has been really great. So um, the specific story was Giuliani's arrest yesterday, but it, it seems like over the last week they've they've had several scoops in addition to the post. There you go. Well, thanks. Right. I'll pass the message along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a big deal, though, that that the whole thing, because Giuliani is I mean, he is the one. Mm hmm who maybe it wasn't that hard, who really dragged Donald Trump into this, not is, is the, into the corruption investigation, but also the, the conspiracy that was Ukraine, not Russia, that triggered the Mueller investigation and that somewhere in Ukraine is buried Hillary's mm-hmm. um, software, whatever. And you can argue that so. he's the one who's kind of uh, roused Trump's interest yeah. In this in the first place right. and led to this long trail of uh, the president prodding people to investigate on his behalf. So good, good, good marks here for the uh, Wall Street Journal. Yes, Eliza, your favorite well, story. Now, now I don't want to give too much praise to the journal, but I was going <laughs> to give to my other colleagues who came out with a story this morning. Actually, they looked at there are 19 counties in the whole country that have voted for the president every cycle since Reagan. And so they went to some of these counties and asked um who these people are interested in, you know, they found that these counties generally tend to be whiter and older. And um, they voted for the president, no matter which party. Exactly. Really? They've flipped back and forth every year. So there are only 19 um, in the entire country. But that means they voted, you know, definitely both parties and sometimes by really large margins. I think one was like 21 points, um, sometimes by very narrow margins. But Really what they found from talking to folks in these counties is that it's not a sure election for the president by any means, 
But there's a real wariness about some of the progressive candidates. I think Biden came up a few times as someone that, you know, some of these people could vote for instead of Trump. But they are nervous about Warren. Or, or Bernie. Or Bernie. Yeah, they just didn't say Bernie in here. But yes, absolutely. I yes. imagine they're nervous about Bernie, too. It's fascinating. There are 19 countries, yeah. n- counties, rather. In the whole country. That would say... He's our he's our president, Republican or Democrat. I'm sticking with our president. And it's quite a mix of different yeah. people, personalities, types of records. It's not true of the county that I live in, California, by the way. <laughs> um, I am not going to praise the Wall Street Journal. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Neither am I. Yeah. Better. Uh, instead of a favorite story, I have a story I like to highlight, which is oh, yeah. something that's kind of gotten lost in all the impeachment stuff that's in the Beltway. That's fair. Is the preemptive blackouts in California, oh, which is affecting yeah. just millions of people. And I, I think it's kind of a, a, a sign of worse things to come as climate change gets worse, is that, you know, these things, you're going to see more of these as uh, we go on. And worth pointing out that there's wildfires in Southern California. So, Correct. I mean, yeah. this if, if this massive program had worked, yeah. there would be an argument that it should be done in the future. But it's unclear whether it's actually working. Yeah. No. As a Californian, thank you for highlighting this. And still having family, having family in California and grandchildren in California. I mean, this is a real problem. People, I mean, schools are closed. University of, of California, UC Berkeley is closed. Uh, you know, healthcare clinics are closed. People who have sleep apnea machines or lung machines or whatever. I mean, this is this life and death, and they don't know when it's going to happen. And it, and they shut it down. And it's not just like then you flick the switch and turn them back on, because then they have to go check all the lines hmm. to make sure they're still safe before they can give the order to, for the power to come back. So it's it's uh, north and south. It's a very serious problem. Um, I'm not going to praise the Wall Street Journal either. Uh, but my favorite story I find rather appalling is that the average commute, I don't know how many of you have to get in your car and drive to work every day. I hope none of you do. But the average commute now in this country is 225 hours a year people spend oh. commuting, which adds up to nine full calendar days Wow! average wow. commuter spends on the road that's just time sitting behind the wheel of that car i find that just appalling i mean when i had our radio show as all of you enjoyed i enjoyed having you on i had one block to walk to my <laughs> studio and now i walk from the third floor down to the first floor of, the, of this house but imagine nine days most people don't get nine days vacation yeah yeah right but Crazy. bill i have to point out that what I, a waste I, of time I love that you cut the story out of the paper. You're very old school. I, that, that actually took nine days. Of <laughs> In more ways than one. I'm very I'm more old school. Uh, great, great, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, it is now time for my parting shot, which I always hasten to add. My comments only, not necessarily those of the panel. But uh, going back to impeachment, House, as uh, House Democrats proceed with their impeachment inquiry against Donald Trump, A lot of people compare it to the inquiry against Richard Nixon. And it is true. In one big way, it's similar. Both Nixon and Trump tried to stonewall Congress. But it's also quite different. This time around, for example, there's no need to ask, what did the president know and when did he know it? Because Donald Trump already told us what he knew, what he said, and what he did on that phone call to the president of Ukraine. And there's no need to look for the smoking gun because Donald Trump already handed us the smoking gun. 
admitting that he asked President Zelensky to dig up dirt on his likely Democratic opponent, which is flat out against the law. Which doesn't mean that Democrats should rush into impeachment. They need to take the time to gather documents, hold hearings, interview witnesses. But there's no need to drag it out either. In effect, Democrats already have the goods on Trump. It's called aid for dirt. This impeachment case is already cooked. So there's no reason that Democrats Democrats can't wrap up this impeachment inquiry and vote on articles of impeachment before the end of November, before Thanksgiving, in fact. And if they're smart, that's what they will do. Again, thanks, Jen Habercorn and uh, Eliza Collins and Igor Babish. Thanks to all of you also for listening. And now please do us a favor. If you haven't already done so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or tune in and subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. And while you're there, give us a big fat five-star review. The more subscribers, the more reviews we get, the more people we reach every week. On our next podcast, we'll hear from Alfonso David, the new head of the Human Rights Campaign, about the war Donald Trump is waging against the LGBTQ community. It's worse than you think, friends. Meanwhile, stay strong, and we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.